your treasure is is the series where your treasure is is the series and we are going to move into today's part four of this series and so let's go ahead and get into the text i have a not an unusual text but holy week typically um, represents the end of Jesus's physical ministry on earth. What I want to do is take us to a text that begins before Jesus actually began his public ministry on earth. And so I'm going to take us today to the book of Matthew, which is where we are, where we've been. Our base scripture has been in Matthew chapter six. And I'm just going to take us a couple of chapters back to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, I'm going to read verses one through 11 from the New International Version of the Bible. Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, and I'm still going to stick with Matthew chapter six for our base text. So Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11, Jesus has been baptized, and then this begins. He's been baptized. I'll read verse 17 from chapter three, and then get into chapter four. It says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. <clears throat> Chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. All right, that's Matthew chapter four, verses one through 11. I'm going to flip over just a page, really two pages in my Bible, and I'm going to read Matthew chapter six, verses 21 through 24, verses 21 through 24, almost closing out this series. Here we go. This is the penultimate chapter. Anyway, Matthew six, 21 through 24. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus talking. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Today's message, part four of Where Your Treasure Is, is entitled The Ultimate Example. The Ultimate Example. Let's bow our heads. 
Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you for this opportunity we have to come together. Lord, I thank you for the worship that was led by the worship team, the songs that were sang, the opportunity we had to lift our voices and absorb that, uh, just absorb you into the midst, Lord, just uh, just welcome you into our hearts and, and profess your glory and our desire to be a reflection of you. We thank you. We thank you now, Lord, for the opportunity to hear your word taught and broken down, Lord. Your word teaches that the church, Lord, focused on the word and the teachings and the apostles' doctrine, Lord. I pray that today we would be ready to feast on your word and, Lord, use me to provide a sufficient meal. Use me, use my words, use this moment, Lord, for your blessing. Let every single person that has come here go away filled. Filled and on and commissioned and ready to walk in what you call them to, Lord. We just bless you. Forgive us for anything that we have done that is outside of your will. Clear our hearts, minds, and our consciences and, and just ready us to receive without guilt, without shame, but with clarity and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The ultimate example. All right. Focusing back on this Matthew chapter six text, I just want to highlight that a, a truth that we are all um, aware of. This isn't a news flash. This verse 24 says, um, excuse me, not even 24. Yeah, it does. 24 says no one can serve two masters. I want to be clear. I understand how sensitive that language is and how that can touch some nerves because we don't like the idea of having masters. Uh, it's completely understandable. We, um, especially those of us that are African American, um, have, you know, that connotation of a master, it's, uh, for black people, it just reaches right back to slavery. And then you start uh, just a, a snowball from slavery into Jim Crow and black codes and, and redlining and lynchings and then current discrimination and attempts to, to limit vote, like the voter suppression act or, or law that was just passed in Georgia and, and, and just all these other things that are happening, police brutality, uh, stop and frisk. And it just reminds us that term master, it's not really something we're comfortable with because of the, it, 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 it makes the scars of slavery itch. You ever had a scar that itches? You know, it's like you think about whatever happened to hurt you. And for some reason, you just start scratching it. You know, that one's my sister right there. She scratched me with a watch. And this is we had a metal toaster. We got burnt on a toaster. I, 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 you remember your scars. And so that idea of a master, th th these are cultural scars. These are generations. These are passed down. And, and the challenge is that the wounds of the scars are reopened regularly because the the oppression is repeated and people champion and, and people argue for the oppression, the scars from slavery. In fact, at one of our local high schools, it's named for Confederate General Lee and uh, there's a debate to change the name and we just saw the news and it made national news, y'all, it's on CNN, where, you know, you have Caucasian people defending the name and talking down on black people and black culture and, and talking about how Aunt Jemima's face is a monument and, and all of this stuff that is just a reminder of the, just the negative connotation that is associated with the culture that we live in. 
And so when I see the word master written in this Bible, um, I understand how we as a people have trouble with the idea of serving and masters in the first place. I understand. Because like the only, if we're real about it, the only masters we claim are degrees and of ceremonies. Masters degrees and MCs. That's really the only way you're going to get black people to celebrate a master or a master's. And for a little while, if we want to be real honest about it, when Tiger Woods was playing really well, we would celebrate when he won the Masters, right? But to be serious, like many of us, many people, many people in our culture, many people, period, they bow to no master, not functionally. You know, we've made ourselves God. We call ourselves God. We treat ourselves like God. We accumulate riches for ourselves, lay up treasure for ourselves, see ourselves on a pedestal and everybody else is an opposition or a hater or in the way of our dream or our vision. And we, um, we, we bow to no master. We want to be the masters of our fate. We want to be the masters of our destiny. We want, be, we want to be the masters of our own success. And so because we want to be the masters ourselves, we reject our Lord and our master. We reject our Lord and our master, Yahweh, the Lord God, the I am who I am, the I will be who I will be. That man, the one who, when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, he says, start like this. Our father, that God is our master. And when we want to master ourselves and we want to have control and we want to be in the steering wheel. And even when we want Jesus to be the co-pilot, what that's basically saying is we're double minded. We want it two ways. We want it our way and we want God's blessing. But in the real way that it has to go, what Jesus is proclaiming here when he says no one can serve two masters is what he's saying is, you know, if I'm at the wheel, if the Lord is at the wheel, then I'll bless you in the passenger seat. But if you're at the wheel, I can't even be in the passenger seat. I am either the master or I'm not. I'm either your master or you're serving another master, you know, and we have trouble with that because our idea of what it means to master is built in a way that's not effective. It's built in a way that's wrong, because if we're honest about it, every human being has a technical master, someone or something that we serve someone or something that we are devoted to someone or something that we celebrate. Amen. We all got stuff like that. We all celebrate our favorite team or our favorite artist or our favorite actor. We all celebrate our you know, favorite person, our, our kids, our spouses. We, we all celebrate. We all demonstrate devotion toward. We all commit our time, our energy, and our riches and our treasure to somebody or something or some kind of mix of it. And I talked about in the previous series that it's all about the why. What's your motive? Um, but the truth of the matter is we are mastered and serving all the time. You know, it may be connected to ourself, serving ourselves. It may be connected to serving our stuff. And that's where um, that older translations I keep saying say you can't serve God and mammon because it's not just money, but it's everything that results from the money. It's everything that can be done with the money. 
Everything that you would do. Is it going on trips? Is it buying a nice house? Is it a nice car? Like which of these things are you serving? Are is your your goal and your desire to have and accumulate? Um, is it related? If it's related to money as opposed to benevolence, as opposed to benevolence based in the love of God, well, then it's idolatry. It's idolatry. It's all mammon. And what Jesus is teaching is that we serve. We're all serving, but we serve based on what we see, based on how we see. Do we see from a light perspective, as it states here, if you know, the eye is the lamp of the body. He's talking about the eye and what we see and how we allow ourselves to see and perceive affects what's going on on the inside and what's going on, on the inside then impacts what we say and we do. Um, it's like if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Are you seeing from a light perspective or if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light within you is actually darkness. How great is that darkness? Um, according to Christ, we serve based on how we see and we serve based on a light perspective connected to the Lord. Or we serve in a dark perspective connected to literally anything else other than the Lord. And so it shows our hearts. You know, we'll live our lives. We'll use our wealth. We'll use our resources. We'll use everything we have either in service of God's vision for our lives or in service of a vision that's uh, some someone other than God's. It could be the vision of your your astrological sign. It could be the vision of the free reading you got, um, the tarot card. It could be the vision of the energy or vibe of the universe. It could be the vision of an ancestor that you think that you speak. It could be the vision of anything. If it's a vision other than the vision poured down, poured out from Holy Spirit, Revealed in the word, confirmed in the earth, in the way, in the lifestyle and in your witness of Holy Spirit being inside you. Anything other than that is service of mammon. And so that can be a tough word to accept that literally anything else like I, the world teaches me that it's OK. Well, yes, the world teaches us that it's OK and it doesn't seem like it hurts anybody. It seems like it connects me to the earth or the moon or the people or whatever. It seems like that. But at the same time, we have to re recognize that we serve a God who commands that we serve no other gods. We have a God who is wants to be the only supernatural entity that we entrust ourselves to, that we entrust our trust to. He's the only one worthy and he's the he, and he desires that that trust be made manifest through faith in Christ. And then continuing faith in Christ. And see he, the Hebrew uh, language is interesting. It's different in a way from a, from our language. Like if if something there's no there was no difference in when the, when they communicated between you knowing something and doing something because if you knew it you did it. If you heard it said you didn't hear it said unless you acted on what you heard. Knowledge was connected to action. Hearing was connected to doing. And and so when we think of light and dark, the way that we think is like there's all this stuff going on on the inside and there's all these other things. And and, and, and so what we do is we kind of we kind of make it a real, really gray rather than black and white. And so it can be difficult for us to discern light without an example of light. Like we've got all these worldly examples of success and worldly examples of treasure and pursuing treasure. We even have plenty of worldly examples of generosity and love. Um, 
But if they're not rooted in Christ, there's still darkness in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realm. And so it can be difficult if we can't if we it can be difficult to see light without an example of actual spiritual light. Um, and so aren't you glad you serve a God who knows that that is true? Aren't you glad that you know a God who can see that challenge and recognizes that that's a challenge? Aren't you glad you have a God who sent an example? who sent a Christ, who sent not only an example, because there's examples all over the Bible. He sent the ultimate example. He sent Jesus the Christ for God so loved the world that he sent his only one and only begotten son, his only son. God came in the flesh and showed us how he left eternity, came down in the flesh and lived out what it is to have a light perspective. He came down and lived out what it's like to obey the Lord. He came out and lived out what it means to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He lived it out. He didn't, they didn't leave this for us to guess about. They didn't leave this for us to be like, well, how does the law, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. What happened is he came down, he lived a life so profound and so perfect that it for, changed forever. It changed everything forever. The people that witnessed his life have passed it down at the risk and sometimes the cost of death so that God can be glorified. He lived this out. Aren't you glad you serve a God that knows what it's like, that knows the struggle, that knows what, it like, what it's like to be tested, that knows what it's like to be hungry, that knows what it's like to struggle physically and be disappointed and deal with heartache and pain. Aren't you glad? I'm glad because that means he's charting a path for us to walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, in the face of the test, Jesus shows us how we can choose God. Jesus shows us how instead of storing up treasure on earth, we can store up treasure in heaven. He shows us how we can take advantage of our relationship with him and prioritize a relationship with him over prioritizing a desire for money or riches or comfort or any of that. That's a beautiful thing about the Lord. Jesus overcame the temptation to trust in worldly treasure. He had to face the temptation to trust in worldly treasure before he ever uttered a public statement before he ever ministered publicly in Matthew chapter four. See, in Matthew chapter five is when he gives his first big teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're teaching from that, Matthew five, six, seven. Before that, he submitted to what he knew to be true, went to his cousin John the Baptist and received baptism in water. The Lord says, oh, that's my son. I'm pleased with him. And the very next thing that happens is, Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. And so I want us to understand in, in this story in Matthew chapter four of Jesus overcoming temptation and difficulty, that this is his before. This is before the glory. This is before the great things and the powerful and the healing. And all. this is before, before all the stuff that we really think about when we think about the wonder of Jesus, he had something he had to overcome before. 
Isn't that a blessing to know? Because some of us are on the before side of a breakthrough and some of us are on the before side of a miracle. Some of us are on the before side of the anointing, of the calling, of the refreshing, of the revival. Some of us are on the before side. And doesn't it make you feel a little bit better to know that while you are waiting on your before side and you're working through what you're supposed to do on your before side, that you serve a God that knows what it's like, that had to walk and talk and live and breathe a before before he walked into his anointing before the palm leaves came down and they said hosanna there was a before and before he had to endure he's been baptized he's pleased he's identified as a son who god is pleased with and his pleasure leads to the test don't nobody want to say amen to that. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. You read the whole Bible. Great. It's time for a test. Oh, that's awesome. You, 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 you prayed at a level you've never prayed before. Great. It's time for a test. Oh, you're obedient this time. And normally you're not obedient in that area. Great. It's time for a test. It's time to be tested. This is like people think that when God blesses you, that it should equal worldly relief and that things should get easier and life should be better and money should come and bills should be paid. And, and Jesus is an example, the ultimate example. And so when Jesus hears, well done, I'm pleased with you. The very next thing the Holy Spirit does is drive him into wilderness to be tempted for temptation. So God claims his as claims him as his son. He claims us as his children, his adopted children in faith, by faith. And so he sends him into the wilderness and when we are he's pleased with us, he will he may send you into the wilderness. He may take you to the next level and in order to get to the next level there is a wilderness experience that you have to go through just like Jesus went through a literal wilderness experience. He went to a difficult, uncomfortable place. And sometimes we are going, you know, we think that we have reached another level and God is moving. And what happens is you get moved into a more uncomfortable place. You moved into a more uncomfortable place. And, and God shows us how we can deal. He's there in the wilderness. Holy Spirit takes him to a difficult, tough place. And while the people of Israel were taken into wilderness because of faithlessness, Jesus was taken into wilderness because of his faithfulness. And while the people of Israel went into wilderness and complained, Jesus goes into wilderness and fasts and prays. He goes into wilderness and he fasts for 40 days. He goes into wilderness and this is where this is the example for us. He goes into wilderness and he increases his spiritual depth at the expense of his physical peace. He could have ate whatever he wanted to eat. He could his life in the wilderness could have been much easier. But he knew that for where he was going and what God was going to do and God's will to be done and he was going to obey he went into the wilderness and then in the wilderness is when he started to fast in the wilderness. He countered discomfort that he was encountering by choosing more discomfort that he willed on himself for the glory of the Lord. And so after 40 days of fasting, 
the word teaches that he's hungry. Well, of course he's hungry. He hasn't eaten in 40 days. And so he's weak. I don't know about you, but I've gone without eating for a long period of time when I've fasted. I've never gone 40 days. I've gone 21 days. That's the most I've ever gone. I've gone it a few times. At the same time, though, it was different circumstances, all types of different things going on. But Jesus left the wilderness, into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, fasted for 40 days. And before he breaks fast at the end of 40 days, that's when the enemy attacks. When does the enemy attack? At your weak point. He attacks when you're tired, when you're frustrated, when you are annoyed, when you're lonely, when you feel rejected. He attacks then. The enemy is not trying to attack you when you're at your strongest. He's not trying to attack you in the middle of church service. He's not trying to attack you after altar prayer. He's waiting until you leave altar prayer and he's waiting until you turn off the church service and then you go back into your real life like, okay, now it's time to test them in their regular real life. And so the whole goal of the enemy is to get Christ to misuse or misappropriate his treasure, to embezzle, to be a fraud, to end up being fake and impotent in who he's been called to be. That's the enemy's point. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to get the Lord to focus on his own benefit at the expense of obedience to the father. And don't we all deal with that? Amen. Don't we all deal with that? Don't you deal with the temptation to do for you and do what you want to do rather than obey the father. When it comes to your relationships, sometimes husbands, don't you just want your wife to do what you want your wife to do? Sometimes wives, don't you just want your wife to or your husband to just do what you want them to do? Kids, don't you just want your parents to do what you want them to do? Parents, don't you just want your kids to just do it? Bosses, I mean, every relationship you can think of, money, like even with inanimate objects, there is a desire in our hearts that is selfish. And what we want is we want stuff to bend to our will. And the enemy is coming at our weak points, hoping to get us to indulge in that. That's what the enemy is trying to do to get us to do what we want to do, because that's what we want to do. And so that's that's his goal. If I can just get Jesus, if I can get Yeshua, if I can get um, this so-called Messiah, this so-called anointed one, if I can just get him to trip up, that's the enemy. If I can get him to trip up, I can invalidate his whole purpose. That's his goal. That's his whole goal. Get Jesus to trust more in worldly treasure and comfort than in the kingdom of God. That's our test. That's how we're tempted each day. That's how Jesus was tempted. That's how we're tempted. And so he's tempted in four areas where we are often tempted. I'm going to give those four areas to you. And then I'm just going to encourage you a little bit before we go. Amen. Amen. So there are four areas where Jesus is tempted here in the text. Uh, the first one is he is tempted in the area of his person, his identity. Uh, the, the enemy says twice, Satan here says twice, if you are the son of God, 
If you're the son of God, do this. If you're the son of God, do that. If you're big and bad, why don't you do this? And You know, you ever faced a challenge like that where somebody is questioning your identity? Oh, if you like that, then why don't you blank? If you're that smart, if you're that wise, if you're that healthy, if you're that nice with the game, why don't you just blank? You got money like that, why don't you just buy it? Why don't you just do this? Oh, they won't say nothing. Why don't you just take advantage of that? Anybody ever been there? Either receiving the temptation from somebody else or being tempted from within your own desires. It says here in verse two, after fasting and praying, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then in verse five, it says six, the enemy again says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And he talks about it again. I'll get to, to, to that in a second. But the first thing he's attacking is your identity, the, your person. Like, who are you? Are you confident that you are who God says you are? Are you confident that you were a son of God? Are you confident that you're a daughter of God? Because if you are, then that means that there's a certain level of standard that you can live by. There's a certain, a certain level of faith that you can walk with. So a certain level of godly pride, not in yourself, but in who you belong to. Anybody got pride in who they belong to and who you serve and who you love? Anybody got a pride in the Lord? Amen. Amen. So the first area he's trying to get you to question your identity in Christ. He tried to get Christ to question his own identity. And so he's trying to get us to question our identity in Christ. That's the first area. The second area is power. Go ahead to verse three. In verse three, uh, he says, uh, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Tell these stones to become bread. He ain't eating 40 days. He hungry. He's trying to tempt him to make a miracle for himself. He's trying to tempt him to misuse his power to you to make a miracle for himself. What do you mean? Think about the miracles that you see in the Bible. You don't see someone perform a miracle for themselves. You see people perform miracles for others. Give a prophetic word for the blessing of someone else. Heal someone else. Provide food for someone else. There is no, I make a miracle for me and my own benefit. I mean, maybe I missed an example. <laughs> But even when Jesus is on the cross, they mock him and say, why don't you get yourself down? Even then, he doesn't fall to the temptation. Uh, that test of power is a test where the enemy is trying to get you to use your power instead of trying to make a miracle happen or be a blessing in the lives of others. He's trying to make you focus on being a blessing for yourself. That's the second one. The third one is position. Verses five and six, um, the devil, you know, he takes him to the holy city, Jerusalem, has him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it's written. He'll command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Your position, he's saying you're the son of God. And so you're supposed to have authority here, here and here. And so what he's saying is he's trying to make you he's trying to test you in the area of your position so that you will use your authority to benefit yourself. He's trying to get you to use your power to make miracles for yourself. He's trying to get you to use your authority to benefit yourself, 
to abuse your power, basically abuse your authority, abuse your influence. And that's what's happening here. He's saying, well, you the son of God and, and angels will come at your call. So why don't you just call them? Throw yourself down and get them to do, the, do what you want them to do to protect you so that even when you throw yourself down, um, because they're under your authority, nothing will happen to you. Make a miracle. Use your authority. Last one, purpose. Purpose. Verses eight and nine. Again, this is the last test. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. And so he's trying to test him and tempt him in the area of his purpose. The enemy is saying, bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. Now, what do we know about Jesus? He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He already rules all the kingdoms of all time. And so what the enemy is trying to do is he's trying to get him to trust him for his purpose for his destiny and so he's saying instead of trust god for your purpose trust me for your purpose instead of worshiping god for your blessing and benefit worship me for your blessing and benefit instead of trusting in the lord for your provision trust in the job trust in the money trust in the savings trust in your investing trust in your friend trust in your network trust in anything other than trusting in god Trust me, I will secure your destiny. That's what the enemy is saying. Trust me. Don't trust the Lord. Don't use your money for the church. Use your money for you. Don't do your relationship like that. It feels better now if you do relationship like you want to do it. Amen? Amen. If we can't say amen, say ouch. But this is the truth. This is the way the enemy our enemy, Satan, is tempting and teasing us. But here's the great thing. The great thing when we look at each one of these, because I haven't talked about Jesus's response yet. The amazing thing that makes him the ultimate example is that these are all very tempting things. And Jesus doesn't fall a single time. Christ was victorious. Uh, Yeshua was victorious. He won. He received the test. He received the temptation. It came to him and he conquered each time. And so we can be victorious in the same way Christ was victorious when temptation comes our way. If we simply fight the same way that Jesus fought. Jesus was victorious. He's the ultimate example of how we can be victorious. So the enemy, the enemy, Satan, wants us to move from an earthly view, a sinful view, a view that rejects God's ultimate authority and then withholds some of that authority and places it in temporary, temporal, human or, you know, or human system, you know, puts that trust there. Uh, that's what the enemy wants us to move from an earthly view a darkness perspective. But God provides what? His word. God provides his word for his view. And so what you see is the enemy knows the word. The enemy knows the word. Um, what the devil does here, and I'll go back through it in just a second, the devil uses scripture. But we need to know the word so that when the enemy comes at us, twisting the word like he did with Adam and Eve, 
that we know it and we know it in context so we can use it and wield it properly. Ephesians calls the word of God the sword of the spirit, the only offensive weapon against the enemy. And so if I go back through when he says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus says it's written. He goes straight to the word. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is in the Bible. That is from Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three. All right. And so he doesn't stop there. If you keep on, says the devil took him to the Holy Spirit. I'm skimming. Says, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And this is when he comes back with the scripture. Jesus introduced scripture into the conversation. The enemy comes back with scripture. And says, he'll command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so there he's coming from Psalm 91. The, the enemy is, but Jesus comes right back and says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so he responds with Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. Now they weren't in chapters and verses. They just had this stuff memorized. <clears throat> this stuff was just in their hearts. And so that's why they're saying it's written in Deuteronomy. No, we got the quotes and the footnotes because we've numbered it for our organizational purposes. But nah, like Jesus just has it committed to the heart. And so it says he, he's using the word like the enemy saying, test God. Jesus saying, the word says, don't say that. Don't do that. Don't test the Lord. In fact, the only place it says to test God is in the area of your tithes. And that's Malachi chapter three. We're not even going there right now. And the last time, the last time here, it says the devil takes him very high mountain says all this. I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus again says away from me, Satan. He rebukes the devil. It says for it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve him only Deuteronomy that's Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13 says then the devil left him and angels came and attended him and so when we know the word we know it in context we have it in our hearts it's applying to our day-to-day -day ideas and attitudes about how we deal with treasure how we deal with time how we deal with resources how we deal with um, our relationship with God, our relationship with others. We recognize it's not about manipulating circumstances for our benefit. It's about serving and loving our Lord so that we may be able to serve and benefit others and trusting that God, when we obey and when we walk in his word, that he will send what we need. He will give us everything we need. When we pursue God's prosperity, the prosperity of God's kingdom he cares for us. You know, it's God's will for us to live victoriously. I'm closing now. It's God's will for us to live victoriously. And that, based on this Matthew text, takes three things. Matthew 6. One, store up treasures in heaven. Don't invest all your treasure. Don't be, don't be focused on pursuing treasure that is earthbound, that can't go with you to heaven. That the record of it is not going to translate well to heaven. In fact, store up your, instead of laying up treasure on earth, lay up treasure in heaven. Do like, look at your, look at your wealth from a perspective of how can I use this to glorify God? That's one. So two, see the light, store up treasures in heaven, see the light, see from a perspective of light, know the word of the Lord so that you can see things from the Lord's perspective and three, serve the Lord, serve the Lord. 
You can't serve two masters. So if you got to choose, choose the Lord. Let's come together, in fact, not just you, not just me, all of us as believers. Let's come together and build up his kingdom. And we can trust that when we build up his kingdom, he will build up us. Amen. 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 So I'm asking you, I'm close. I'm really closing now. I'm asking you to commit your life to him, to commit and to commit your resources to his work. Commit your life to the Lord and then commit your resources to his work. Well, what is your, the work? Well, the first work is to care for your family. That's the first work. Care for your family. The family is the first entity introduced in creation for humanity. The family. Care for your family. Care for the church. Care for the church. The people of God are instituted after he has made this promise to a family that he will proceed and bless all nations through him. So the people of God, commit to your family. Commit God's, what God has put in you to your family. Commit what God has given you and put in you to the church. And on a very specific, narrow level, because I've talked about your family, I've talked about the church, we God has given you an individual vision that works in concert with the rest of the body of Christ. Commit your life and your resources to the individual vision he's given you for the part that you are supposed to play and that only you can play. I can't wait to see God move as we come together and build each other up in this most holy faith, trusting in, believing in, submitting to the ultimate example. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you and praise you for this day, for life, health, and strength, for this opportunity that we've had to come together for your love, your glory, your power, your peace, your patience, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, and your love. Lord, I thank you that you have empowered us by providing an example of how to live how to handle temptation, how to handle difficulty, how to handle opportunity, how to handle power, how to handle love, how to handle wisdom. Lord, you've given us an opportunity, um, an, an example to see it done and done right and righteously. Let us follow the example of Christ as we prepare to deal with and reconcile with and and commemorate his crucifixion and resurrection, Lord. Let our hearts be humbled. Let us come together. Let us believe in unity and unison, Lord. Not being uniform, but unified. That as different people coming together with one common purpose to see you glorified, that you will bless our families, that you will bless our church, and, and specifically our church in relationship to our spiritual health and our financial pursuit to get this building renovated so that we can open up physical operations and bless our homes, our, our spiritual vision that you've given us. Bless them. Bless our households. Bless our families. Bless our vision. Bless our church. Lord, lead us and guide us today so that we will store up treasure in heaven and trust you for all the rest. Lord, let a peace fall on us and a joy at the prospect and the opportunity to pursue 
your kingdom, benefit, bless, and grow your kingdom's influence on earth. In Jesus' name, we bless you when we pray. Care for us as we're separate. Bless us as we come together. In Jesus' name, amen.